I'm taken by the, the, the words of those who lived before us, like the hymn writer who wrote that song that we've just sung. We don't speak that way anymore. No, no tongue can bid me thence depart. It's been a while since I used the word thence. <laughs> but I love it, and we can't lose it. These are, these are breadcrumbs to a trail that leads us back to an age where there was true desperation, where there was truly a, a holy fight of, of warriors. I think it's so important that we have disciplines as Christians, not only the discipline to read the Word of God, discipline to pray, discipline to share our faith, but I think a discipline is to, to uh, uh, familiarize ourselves, to tether ourselves back to those saints, those warriors, those Christians, those Christ fighters, those holy fighters of, pa- of the past. I'm afraid for our generation we don't do it enough. I'm afraid for our country that we don't examine the heart of the founders of this country and what they were intending to do with the constitution of this country. I'm afraid that those things ebb away as time moves forward. And our unfortunate demise is that we allow them to. As Christians, I cannot say strongly enough to, to, to go back to some of, the, some of these uh, men and women who gave their life. People say, well, how do you do that? How do you find them? One word, Google. <laughs> it's that easy anymore. We're going to end our time together later on with some words by a man named David Brainerd. Powerful. A man who lived in the 1700s. I would label him, of all things, a holy fighter because that's what we're talking about, fighting for the things that really matter. So today I, I encourage you, maybe that's the first time you've ever been challenged perhaps in that way, but go home and Google some of these men and women, Hudson Taylor, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, Martin Luther, some of these names you already know, some you don't, David Brainerd, just go home and Google Brainerd this afternoon. Someone came up afterwards and said, I did a whole research on a paper on David Brainer, and just amazing. He was, he was sharing. It's just powerful. We need that in this culture. We need it. We, we need it desperately. Before we get going today, as we open God's Word, let me uh, just make a, a nuts and bolts announcement. As you know, Easter is two weeks away. And, and, uh, and if you've been in the American culture, you know that churches are inflated both on Easter and Christmas Eve. We welcome people who, even in their mind, only intend to come to church twice a year. Because I've seen, and there may be people sitting in this room that only intended to come to a Christmas Eve service. But God intercepted your plans. And he said, oh, it's, I'm more than, than this. And the gospel comes alive. So we, uh, you know, some people poo-poo the, the, uh, the Christers, as the, the nickname is called, Christmas and Easter uh, people. I'm like, I'm glad they're here. I, I'm glad they're, they're, they'll hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, as you know, because we're always inflated, you can look around and see that we don't have many empty seats. So I'm asking you not to come on Easter. I'm just kidding you. <laughs> 
No, I'm asking if you would, uh, if you could be selfless that day and come to an earlier service. Not all of you, because then we'll have an issue. <laughs> I need about 100 of you, and I don't know how we count that. But if, you're, if you don't have youth, because I know, uh, you know students, they come at this service, or if you're able, some people are not able to get up that early, um, and, and, but whatever that circumstance. But if you can on that day, we probably have a, a, in the first service 100 seats or so that are empty. And uh, so if you want to come, that'd be great. The second thing is uh, be selfless that day and park park a little further away. I park east of here and walk. It's a great walk over here, half a block, like a wow, big sacrifice. But, uh, you know, park a little further away. Don't get that first spot up front on that day. And because these are our guests, and these are souls who are open for the, uh, for the gospel of Christ, and we welcome them here. So uh, I noticed uh, today uh, my friends from Boston are, are here. It's good to see you back. It's been a rough winter, has it not? Uh, I, I, you know, when you live in Florida for any, any amount of time, uh, you, uh, you, you're always looking at the, the people that live up north. Uh, somewhere in Minnesota today, it's probably negative 14, and you think, man, uh, th- these are the moments, winter in Florida, it's a great place to be. And in Florida, I've lived in different places. In fact, I've lived in Boston, I've lived in Virginia and Louisville and Kansas City and different places around the country. But there's something unique here to Florida that when you ask people, hey, how you doing? They, there's, a, there's an answer that's given. In fact, there's two answers that are given that I, I have never heard, at least for me personally, maybe you have, but in different parts of the, the countries. The first one goes like this. You'll recognize it. Hey, how's it going? And they'll say, another day in paradise. You know, nobody, nobody ever said that to me when I was living in Boston. It was 14 <laughs> degrees. Like, another day in paradise. It went like, oh, I hate this place. You know, it's something more that way. The second thing I hear in Florida that I've never heard anywhere else is when you say, hey, how's it going? I hear this, living the dream. Have you heard it? Living the dream. Because, see, it feels a little like dreamland here, especially right now. I'm not sure we're going to say that in August, but for right now, it feels like the dream. And when people say, hey, I'm living the dream, usually what we mean is life is going pretty darn good. It's a great day. The weather's nice. Everything's going our way. Job's good. Family's good. Health is good. All those things. Living the dream, man. Not a thing wrong. And I'm happy for that. But there is another dream, of course. This just not our personal circumstance, but it's a spiritual dream. My question to us today is simply this. Are you living the dream? God's dream. And you think, wow, I'm not even sure what God's dream is. You have to lay that out. We're going to lay that out. Because in this holy fight, this collection of conversations about fighting in our faith, we're tracking the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was an interpreter of dreams. You see, God gave him a dream, a a personal dream. But it wasn't just for him. It was for a bigger picture. In fact, the dream wasn't about his ambition. The dream wasn't about bettering himself. The dream wasn't about his job or the things that he wanted to do. The dream is who God wanted him to become. It was a clear picture. You see, God uses clear pictures for us because he understands that we're sheep. And he understands that we need to have clarity in what we're supposed to become. If there is no picture, or if we make the picture up ourselves, we'll be all over the map. You see, for some reason, God selected different people. He selected Joseph. 
And he said, here's the picture of who I want you to become. Joseph then shared that dream with his brothers. It didn't go well. We're in Genesis chapter 37. If you brought your Bible with you, if you didn't, we'll have the, the Scripture verses up on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 37 is where we begin the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of the youngest, the next to the last in his family, so to speak. And God chose him like he chose David, like he chose Jonah, like he chose Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and as he chooses you. I believe that God has painted a picture not just for select individuals, but I believe if you are a follower of Christ, he has painted a picture that is loud and clear of what we should grow into and whom we should become as Christ followers. If I took a poll today of what that picture would be, if I said, what would spiritual success look like for you? What would it look like if you were running at spiritual high octane, your maximum, I promise you, we'd have a different picture, each of us. For that reason, I hope that you will allow me, although you don't have a choice, to be very honest today. This is a piercing picture, I believe, a piercing word, because at times I do believe that the word is comforting, the word is encouraging, but the word is piercing. And I believe that in this culture in which we live, the church today, there are times where we need to be woken up, to be stirred, to be shaken, to be recalibrated. Today, Joseph does exactly that. Genesis chapter 37, verse 6. Joseph is speaking to his brothers, and he said to them, hey, listen, guys, listen to this dream I had. We, all of us, Joseph and his brothers were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. Now, that's not a great dream to share, especially among siblings. I can imagine my own son sharing with my other son, hey, I had a great dream. You're going to be real low in the picture here. If you're one of the brothers, you think, you selfish jerk. Truly, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, who do you think you are, Mr. Big Pants? Who are Mr. Big Sheaves, according to the dream? Who do you think you are? I mean, is this? And they couldn't tell the difference between an ego-driven, selfish dream and a true dream that God had really given to, to Joseph. Then Joseph said, hey, let me tell you, I got another dream. And like many dreams that are seen, like in the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, God gives visions and they look like they're different. But at the end of the day, God is saying the same thing just through a different picture. It's fascinating. So later in the story, in fact, Joseph becomes an interpreter of, of dreams of the leader of the country. He doesn't have one dream. He has more than one dream. And Ju Joseph says, hey, let me tell you, it's the, same, it's the same message. But God understands that sometimes he has to take it from different angles. Therefore, Joseph said, let me share with you another dream I had in verse 9. Then another, he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Again, same picture. 
But see, God wasn't saying, man, work hard at your job, Joseph, and you'll have this great profession. No. He said, this is who you're going to become. You're going to become a leader. But you're going to become a leader who is going to give out for the benefit of others. You're not going to just get some super promotion so that everybody looks to you and gives you the trophy. This is not about you, Joseph. See, when we become what God wants us to become, I promise you, it's about other people. It's a challenge for us. And I would say this to us. The moment that we say, okay, that's the picture, and that's who I'm going to grow into, and that's who God wants me to become, the fight is on. There is a fight to become who Christ wants us to become. Now, I know that it's popular in this day and age to make Christianity easy. We want as many people to come in, but we deceive them because we're not honest. Here's the honest truth. When you follow Christ and you truly are leaning forward to become who He wants you to become, it's not hard. It's very hard. It doesn't take a loss. It takes great selfless loss. You still want in? Let me tell you, before you check out and get in your car, why you should be in. You were created to become more and more like your Creator. And the more and more you become like your Creator, the harder it might be, but the more exciting it may be, the more purposeful your life is, the more depth it has, and suddenly you think, well, this is why it's hard, because it's valuable. If it were not valuable, then it should be easy. If it had no greatness to it, you say, come on in, follow Christ, live the way you want, paint your own picture, do whatever you like. But that is not the truth. It is hard to follow Christ with the intention, with the intention of becoming like He is. So we fight. We fight against different things. So let me cut to the conclusion as we begin. Because you may be sitting there, or maybe not, but you may be sitting there saying, then what is the picture? Who shall I become? What does it look like when a person grows and becomes more like Christ? There are times in my personal reading, my personal time of spending uh, my time with God, that I cannot get off a particular passage. Last year, for six months, I could not get out of the sixth chapter of Judges. It's not an exciting life I lived, but I'm telling you, there it was in Judges 6. And every time I'd go to turn the page to Judges 7, I'm like, ah, no, there's something that's holding me in. Right now, I cannot get away from Ephesians 4. And as a leader and a pastor, I am feeling the weight of this chapter because it addresses us as leaders. And it tells us how the church is structured. Be careful. Not the universal church. Not with high officers and whatnot. Only two times in the, in the New Testament is that word church actually used. Uh, over a hundred times the Greek word ekklesia is used, which means a local body of, of Christ. In other words, us right here. Now, we're part of the larger body of Christ. I get all that. 
But the action and the traction happens within a local body. Think about it. You may be part of the larger body of Christ and your brothers and sisters with other Christians all around the world. But honestly speaking, how in the world can you bear another's burden? How can you forgive one another of a Christian sister or brother, let's say, that's in South Korea? It's impossible, and we love to kind of hide under that beautiful, warm, and fuzzy concept. No, where the traction is, is when we're living together here, when we're moving together, when we're acting together and and grouping and hurting together within one local church, that's when you're going to offend me. My brother in South Korea is not going to offend me. I've never seen him, never know him, probably won't know him until I get to heaven. It's within a local church that we begin to be sculpted and molded into the image of Christ. So when, when God uses the word church, he says, hey, this is, this is where it's at. And so I believe that when you look at the image that God wants us to grow up into, it happens within the local church. So when Christ speaks to us and says, here's the, here's the deal. In Ephesians chapter 4, God says, I'm giving to the church, a local church, pastors, Leaders, teachers, evangelists, prophets, those who speak forth the word, all of these combine. Why? To prepare God's people for the work of the ministry. See, you're not here, hopefully, just to hear some guy get up and, and, and deliver a, a sermon, hear, sing some songs, and go home. You should be here because God is preparing you for the work to be a participant, not a consumer in the ministry, so that we can grow in the knowledge and unity of the faith. And we pick it up in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13 until... This would be the picture. Get ready, because here comes the picture. Until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That's our goal. That's why we're here. If you've, been in the, if you've been a Christian for years and years and years, and your tomato is still green, something is wrong in the garden. You should ripen. We should mature. Mature, and here is the core of the picture attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, what is that? See, here's the way I look at it. We have to put different elements in a painting to make the whole picture. No one paints with just one color. You say, okay, here's orange and here's blue and here's yellow, and it all comes together for a picture. So you may say, well, I want to learn the Word of God more. I want to learn the Bible more. Great. I want to learn the, um, I want to pray more, or I want to share my faith more, or I, I want to give more. Well, that's the real answer there. Give more. I'm kidding. I'm just I'm playing with you. It's all these things, but that is not the measure of fullness. Here it is. I have known people who know the Word of God backwards and forward. They can spurt out every... But I don't sense the fullness of the measure of Christ because of the absence of selflessness. You see, we learn the Word of God so that we can in turn pour it out to someone else. You learn to pray so you can pour it out to someone else and teach others to pray. You learn to share your faith so you can teach someone else to, to pray. So the fullness of Christ is this. Becoming a spiritual parent. Becoming a spiritual giver-outer. We call it discipleship, by the way. 
We call it pouring into somebody else's life because if you live your whole life and you come and you're Mr. Bible man and you drop dead, God would say, oh, you didn't get it. You didn't get the picture. Look at Christ. He didn't come just to flout his knowledge. He came to pour out in the same men for three and a half years, just pouring it out to them, pouring it out. That is the picture that we're growing into. I fear for the church. I do. I fear for the church. I cry for the church. I don't know. I know some of you are there kind of new and you're coming in like, that's like out there, man. You cry for the church. I cry for the church because we are the only army on the face of the planet to show the world what Christ should look like. Who else is doing it? And so for that reason, if we don't grow into the full image of God, nobody gets to see Him on this planet. You see how important it is? It's a fight. It's a fight for me to become more like Christ. It costs as it should. There's a price as there should be. Some of the things that we fight against. We fight against ourselves, quite frankly. We live in this beautiful country. I love this country. Probably one of the most independently minded countries on the face of the planet. What that means is you get your Whopper any way you want it. You can have lettuce and tomato. You can have mayonnaise, lettuce, and tomato, mustard, mayonnaise, and onion, and, and pickle. That's the way I like mine particularly. You can go to Starbucks. You can have it a million different ways. The challenge and one of the, the first things that we fight against is having our own sense of what the picture looks like. Here's what I think I should grow into. It doesn't matter what you think you should grow into. Here's what I think I'll be about. Here's how I'm going to pour uh, my life and self into uh, the pictures that grow up. And God said, no, 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 no. Watch this. There's a famous verse. Many of you know it if you've followed Christ. And a lot of times there are certain verses, you know, that we maintain the King James Version, like the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, we don't normally say shall, but it has such a beauty. This is the, the verse. Without a vision, the people perish. Some of you know that, that verse. It's in the King James that way. But every other version translates it differently and I think more accurately, if I could be honest. We look in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. And I love this translation this in, uh, of this verse because I think it's true. Watch. It makes perfect sense. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no picture, where there is no vision, nobody really knows what we should look like when we get there. Nobody knows it. When there is no dream, no vision, no picture, the people are unrestrained. Well, of course they are. We don't know what we're supposed to look like. So we just, you grow into this, I grow into this, you're orange, I'm red, you're blue. And, we, and all of a sudden, we're just looking like, and Christ was like, ah, oh, man, you got to get a shared picture from the Word because watch, it goes on. But happy, blessed is he who keeps the picture that is given in the law. See, this verse is saying, don't just be unrestrained and create your own picture, but look to the Word of God. 
even listen, even listen when you don't like what that picture looks like. I just rather come to church and not step into the family and be a part. I'd like just to show up once in a while. Great, but you'll never grow into the fullness of Christ, being honest with you. We call that in this culture, that picture, a selfie. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody know what a selfie is? A selfie, for those of you that are still on rotary dial phones, <clears throat> is when you have a cell phone, a smartphone, and you, you get, come up here for a second, you get somebody else, I know, it's embarrassing, yeah. And now Jordan Oden, yes. <laughs> this would be a selfie. <laughs> Thank you. Now, you can turn, there's the little lens on the phone, right? And you can turn it so you can see what you're taking. I didn't know that for a while. And I'm like, oh, whoop, missed. Ah, do it again. Ah, whoop, missed. Ah, do it again. And, you know, oop, I got my ear. Ah, do it again. Uh, so, anyway. So, uh, but you can now actually see what you're taking a picture of. So, um, I, I don't know if you saw the Oscars, uh, but they, there was a moment where they did a selfie. If you just don't know, here's a good picture of what a selfie looks like. Okay? So, a bunch of them gathered around. They took a selfie. Now, Paul McCartney, by the way, he said that he was the first one to, to invent the selfie. Um, in fact, he, this was what his selfie looked like. <laughs> and I said, I was thinking to myself, oh, no, Paul, you were not the first. She was the first. <laughs> that is. <laughs> and someone may argue, nope, she wasn't the first. He was the first. All right, that is weird, man. <laughs> is that weird? I've got, I know some of you just got offended. I'll see you. No, no. <laughs> I grew up with that picture on my wall. You remember that, Mom? And this guy looks exactly, it's, it's crazy. Some people get so creative with their selfies. Look at this next one. The phone is in her toes. <laughs> that is so whacked out. She's standing in front of her bathroom mirror with her phone. <laughs> any rate, you can see it. How about this? Now, <laughs> <laughs> this guy is in his bathroom with his mattress up against the wall, <laughs> taking a picture of himself. Uh, anyway, how about the next one? Here's one for you. This guy's going kayak in his bathroom. You can see his toothbrushes at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> fit at the, yeah. And finally, how about this? It could get a little dangerous doing a selfie. Now listen. As nutty and crazy as all that is, it is no more nutty and crazier than the picture of the church right now. I'm doing a selfie, a spiritual selfie on what I want to look like. And Christ would say, don't fool yourself because you're going to miss out on the octane of the fullness of Christ. Don't just learn the Word to learn the Word and spout off Bible verses because you'll be spiritually constipated. And quite frankly, constipation is not a pleasant experience, physically or spiritually. It's not. I don't know any happy constipated Christians, do you? Come on. I'm just being honest. You can say the word constipated in church. We're mostly adults here. Come on, right? You know them. Everything smells bad when you're like, ah, I don't like that. You know, so, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his own and only son. I'm like, dude, please pick another team. 
You see, when we become and grow into the fullness of Christ, we have to look into the Word and let that drive us. I'm afraid that we have come full circle back to the days of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, the Word of the Lord, the true Word, the courageous Word, the slap-it-down-on-the-grill honest Word of the Lord was rare. And there were not many pictures of what we should become like. But watch, Luke, Jesus reminds us, blessed, happy, rather, are those who hear the Word of God and the picture that He paints and obey it. So the first fight you have is against yourself, really, of wanting to paint your own picture. I'm not sure I want a disciple. I'm not sure I really want to step further into the community of faith in my local church. God said, well, that's your picture. That's your picture. And if you don't, you won't become mature, attaining to the whole picture of Christ. That's the first fight. There's another fight. We look at others, and not everybody gets the dream. You know, Joseph shared the dream. His brothers didn't get it. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. We looked at that last week. But watch, there was somebody in the crowd that said, hmm, but his father kept this in mind. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking today for those that would say, hmm, okay, there's a picture. I'm not looking for those like, I don't want any part of it, honestly. Looking for those that would lean forward and say, okay, maybe where I'm at, maybe I'm drawing my own picture, but I cannot also listen or watch and look at the picture that others are drawing. I say it with all respect in the church culture in America. If you look for them to draw the picture, for us, we're on the same team, but if you look to the church culture, to draw the picture of what we should become. Good luck with that. You have to look in the Word of God and not for those all around you. That's what Joseph has to do. You remember when Christ said, uh, was on the cross and, and people were passing by and they were insulting Him. They came close to the cross. They were, they were in close proximity. You see, those who are close to us, you can be so close in close proximity, but still miss the whole deal. Joseph's brothers were right there, just like Jacob. How come Jacob got it and the brothers didn't get it? They were just close. What it proves to us is that you can come close and still miss it. You can come to church and still miss it. You can come to a small group and still miss it. You can get close, but just because you're close doesn't mean you get it. There were people who were close to the cross that day. They walked by and they said these words, Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at Christ, shaking their heads and saying, Oh, you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, why don't you save yourself now? You see, they missed the picture. Christ did not say that. Christ did not say, I will destroy the, the, the temple. He was speaking of his own body. They didn't get that picture. He said, you destroy the temple. In other words, you destroy me and I'll raise it back in three days. They twisted the picture to a flavor of inaccuracy. Look, they said, you who are going to destroy the temple. He didn't say that. You see, those who are close to us, think about Abraham. God said, come outside, Abraham. 
I'm going to paint a picture for you. I'm going to get a, get a vision of who you're going to become. You see the stars? You see them up there? You see that? You're going to become the father of many nations. His wife, the closest person to him, laughed at the picture. Moses, God said, Mo, come over here. Let me show you what it's going to be like. I'm going to lead you to become a leader in a land that's going to flow with milk and honey. Do you see the picture, son? And yet his own brother Aaron, his own sister Miriam, they missed it. Just because we're close doesn't mean we get it. You remember Jesus said, hey, in my father's mansion, in my father's house, my, his mansion, there are many rooms. In other words, it's going to be glorious. And yet Judas was right there with him, and he missed it, threw the whole thing away. Listen, just because we're close in doesn't mean we get the picture of Christ. In fact, this is where we get our shirt ironed a little bit. Are you ready? I say it with respect, and I hope you hear my heart. If you look to the church at large in our culture, and you say, well, that's what they do, or Bob doesn't read the Bible all that much, or it doesn't seem like I see a lot of people fighting to become like Christ, subtly, if you look at that, you will become that. If that is your picture, I would say, tear it up. There is a greater picture. That's why I go back to these old guys in the, in, in year, hundreds of years ago. That's a picture of a person I want to grow into. I want to grow into the man that wrote that song that said, No tongue can sense to make me depart. In other words, there's nothing you can say to make me walk away from Christ. Now that I can follow. When I see, I just ran into to a couple of people I hadn't seen for a long, long time people of faith, men of faith. Tell me, how's it going? How's your spiritual life? All they can talk about is the new annex that's being built on the church building. I'm like, can we talk about more than that? The picture, tell me what Christ is doing in the inner chambers of your life. Tell me the hard things about your faith right now. You're 15 years older and they challenge me, pierce me, direct me, and for Christ's sake, Draw a picture that I can follow. Sounds like I'm angry. I think I am. <laughs> oh, the picture of God's church today. Don't look at it for your model, for the most part. Look in the Word of God. I'm going to become like that. George Barnum is one of the one of the greatest uh, pollsters. He collects numbers and, and whatnot. And he reminds me today of a picture. The painting that he, he paints is, is, reminds me of a Norman Rockwell. You remember Rockwell? And I came across this picture. You see, let me say something to you. Who knows who that little lady is right there? But she's painting a picture for her grandson. And even though those guys are close, they're looking in like, I don't get it. I don't get the deal. People around you, if you're pressing and fighting to become more like Christ, they won't get it. But don't allow it to influence you. Fight. Fight. I mean, push ahead through the common culture in which you live. Swim against the stream if that's what it takes. And be 
be everything that Christ wants you to be, not those around you. Does that make sense? You see those in, in, that came by Christ that day, you know why they didn't get it? Are you ready? You know why they didn't get it? They were passerbyers. They weren't in. They didn't jump in. They were passerbyers. The body of Christ has passerbyers today. What does that mean? I come to church once when it's convenient. I, 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 sometimes I move around from church to church to church to church. I never really plug in. I just kind of pass by. It doesn't matter if it's this church, it's another church, whatever the map is, I'm not going to really take a step out of Sunday morning. I'm just going to kind of hang here, kind of like this environment. It's safe. I, I, I dig the music, dig the, the preaching and all that, but I'm not going to step in. I'm just going to pass it by. I say this out of great compassion because I want you to experience the maximum, the fullness of Christ. So I'm going to say the statement may sting a little, but it's truth. And if you miss the truth, you won't experience the fullness of Christ. Here it is. Passerbyers never will ever experience the fullness of Christ. Never. And I say that in love. Signed with love. If you come once in a while, if you don't want to dig deep, if you're here and there and you got all the reasons in the world, fine. Doesn't matter. God loves you. He loves you immensely. That doesn't change. He's dying to, he, he's, he, he's died for you. He's, all those things never change. Not speaking about that. I'm talking about growing into the fullness of Christ. So Barnum took these numbers. He asked, in my opinion, one of the greatest questions to be asked. He said, say, what would it look like? What would you be doing if you were spiritually successful? To put it in our context, what would you look like if you were, spiritually speaking, living the dream? I mean, maxing it out for Christ. I've asked people this question. I sit across from them in, in a coffee shop and say, tell me, what would it look like for you if you were, if you were running a maximum for Christ? Here are the answers I normally get. I'd be reading my Bible more. I'm like, okay, good answer. I, I'd, be I'd learn to pray more because I, I don't pray very often. Okay, good, excellent, good, good uh, attribute. I'd, I'd share my faith more. Like, excellent. I have never heard one person ever ask, I want to grow up to pour into others. That's my goal to be selfless. This whole thing about being mature, like a mature tomato. A tomato that's mature is ripe for the eating for someone else. It doesn't, a tomato just doesn't grow up for itself. It grows up for others. Now, the tomato doesn't know that, but we know that. <laughs> so, Barna asked this question. I shared these, these stats with you a few years ago, but many of you come in since. It's worth repeating and this is what he says. The disturbing outcomes of how few Christians seem to possess a big picture of spirituality and that very few believers can describe spiritual success. Think about it. How can we be successful if we haven't taken the time to describe what it looks like when we get there? It's like, go west, young man. I'm like, go west where, young man, old man, right? I'm like, give me a location. He goes on to say, the dilemma is not that believers deny the importance of spiritual growth. Everybody's like, okay, I want to grow spiritually. 
but that they seem to have settled, watch, for a very limited understanding of what it means. So he took a poll, and the poll shows this. What would it mean to be spiritually successful? 20% just had generic answers. 15% said following Jesus. 15 said per personal relationship with Jesus. 14 were honest and say, hey, I don't know. 13 wanted inner peace. 11 wanted being blessed by God, assurance of salvation. 8% believing in God. 7% reading the Bible. 6 behaving appropriately. Thank God for those 6. 6% 6 good spiritual life and family. 5 obeying the Ten Commandments. 5 going to church. Thank you for those too. 4 being example by lifestyle. 4 being happy with life, three, helping other people doing nice things, and at the bottom of the list, the very picture of maturity, helping others grow spiritually. That, my friend, is a picture of our American church, and I love it. I'm passionate. My passion grows because I love the church. If I didn't give a flip, I'd give all messages about peace, joy, love, tiny shepherds, and all that stuff. And, and we play a little Lawrence Welk in the background. Many of you know what that means. Listen, we fight our own sense of independence, but we fight the pictures around us of what the church is sending. Like you, gotta, you can't depend on somebody else to view what it should look like. So I don't know if you call it the announcement, but all cars after 2018, they'll be required, new cars will be required to have one of those cool rear view mirror thing or, or camera things. Did you see that that announcement come out? Well, see, my car is 17 years old. And uh, the cool thing is I already have one of those built into my, um, my car. Their names are Wes and Ty, my sons. <laughs> they sit in the back seat. You see, I depend on them when I'm pulling, because it's a little teeny car, and when I'm parked in the grocery store and they're sitting in the back seat, I depend on their eyes to give me an accurate picture. So I'm like, okay, guys, I'm pulling out. Give me the picture. And, and their signal is, no, 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 no. That means no cars are coming. The coast is clear. I, it took me a while because you would think, yes, 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 back up. But no, 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 no is, is the signal. So they're pretty good at it, except one day where they were slightly apathetic about their radar vision. I'm pulling out of a parking spot. It was a busy, a busy uh, parking lot. And I said, okay, guys, I'm pulling out. What do you say? No, no, no. They were like playing some video deal. No, 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 no. I pulled out, almost slammed right into the back of my car. I'm like, who is watching? Come on, because I was dependent on you to give me a picture. You see, we can't depend on people to give us a complete picture. We have to look in the Word of God. I think it's clear now. Finally, I feel compelled to speak to one more group of people, probably the only group of people in the room I haven't offended yet. So I thought I wanted to make it full today. I'm looking around the room. Some of you I don't know, some, of, some I do. And the ones I do that I know that some of you, because you can't avoid getting wounded in warfare. But I'm, I'm looking around the room. Some of you are younger. Some of you are older. And it has made no difference because of this. Somewhere in this warfare, in this holy fight, 
you got hurt. You got hurt. It was by an individual. It was by a church. Somebody was hypocritical. Somebody was unfair. Somebody did it wrong. I might have done it wrong. I do that from time to time. And somewhere you got damaged in the heart and you haven't recovered. And you took your dream, you took the image, the picture of who Christ wanted you to grow into and you shelved it. I know, I understand what it means to be hurt. When I first came to Christ, lived in Boston. Some of you have heard this story. I was zealous, man. I was out there with a brown paper bag handing out New Testaments like, like free bread, man. I just giving it out. I met a homeless guy. I had a little studio apartment, literally, just a hole in the wall, five feet of walking space. The stove, the toilet, the bed, and my desk were in the same room, just to give you an idea. Just a little crummy hole in the, in the wall. I invited him in because I knew no fear. I had no wisdom either. <laughs> and I let him live with me. I was painting houses at the day, was, uh, and during the day. It was a summer job. I let him wear my clothes. I let him wear my shoes. I let him eat my food. I'd come home every day and fix lunch. I'd fix lunch and dinner for him. After about a month of this, I was trying to get him a job. I was going to the fast food joints trying to give him a job. Something didn't seem right. He didn't want a job. He didn't, he didn't have a, any forward leaning in, in getting a job. I kept pushing him. I came home 30 days into it. I thought I'd walked into the wrong apartment. Everything was gone. My clothes, my shoes, my guitar, my LPs. I'm, I'm still not over the LPs. <laughs> gone, cleaned out. He must have had help. He couldn't have done it on his own. And at that point, I said, that's it. I'm not helping anybody else. And I stayed there imprisoned. You see, Joseph shared his dreams. And I'll remind you that your enemy hates you. Your enemy hates the dream. For you to grow up into the image of Christ, he hates it. I'll tell you why. Because if you did, if half this room grew up into the full measure of God, oh my goodness, we'd rock this place. We'd rock it. And he knows it. He knows that if you grow up into the dream of Christ, you will turn the world upside down so he will fight you, everything. You remember, he's a lion that prowls to do what? Devour. Joseph was coming and he approaching his brothers, Genesis 37, verse 19. And he, they said the words that the enemy says, well, here comes that dreamer. Here he comes. Oh, he thinks he's going to grow into the fullness of Christ. Here he comes. What a dreamer. Now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal, there it is, devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Oh, we'll punch him in the gut. Somebody will treat him unfairly in church. Treat him like a dirt ball. Then we'll see what comes of your dreams. We'll have a leader who falls off the platform of morality. 
Let's see how that crushes. Then we'll see what comes of your dreams. One of your friends will turn their back on you. You thought they were Christians. They wore the big cross around the neck and they acted like a jerkwad. Then we'll see what comes of your dreams. And the minute we shelve them, the enemy says, Ha! Gotcha! Imprisoned you. See, this is why I love Joseph. Because he was like, he had a mindset of like, bring it on. Because I know what God wants me to grow into. If it takes years, which it did. If I have every kind of unfairness facing me, which it did. I'm going to fight to become what God wanted me to become. Listen, they sold him out to the Midianites. Genesis 37, 25. When the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern because they decided not to kill him and sold him like Christ for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. He became enslaved. Then he was sold to Potiphar, a, a leader. And in that home, they recognized Joseph's character and he made him head of his household and helped him rule things until his wife wanted to have an immoral relationship with him. And he said no, so she lied and cried rape and told Potiphar. In Genesis chapter 39, the wife is speaking to her husband. This is how Joseph, your slave, treated me. And Potiphar burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, federal prison, awful place. You see, I'm looking at this story and I think some Christians I know, listen, are imprisoned because they were treated unfairly. Something wrong happened. May I say to you today, fight, fight, unlock the door of whatever it is that, that happened. I don't, dis I don't discard it. I don't. It's hurtful. It's painful. I have deeply painful stories of being in the body of Christ, the church, for 30 years. But I want to grow into the image of Christ, so I'm going to fight. I'm not going to shelf the dream because somebody does me wrong. How about you? How about you? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. See, at the end of the line, watch what happens with Joseph. We're giving, we're given a post game in Psalm 105. The king sent and released Joseph after all that he had been through. The ruler of the peoples set him free. Verse 21, the king made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, but it didn't stop there. To instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. You see, God had a purpose to grow Joseph up into this image for the sake of others. That's why God is growing us up. So the story of David Brainerd, as we close. I'm assuming that most of you don't know the name. But you may know the name Jonathan Edwards. Some of you still may not know that name. But Jonathan Edwards was a preacher of passion, a holy fighter in the 1700s. And during Jonathan Edwards' time, something supernatural began to happen in this country. 
that I don't believe has happened since, my personal opinion. A great supernatural spiritual revival began to break through the country. People could not resist the power of God. People in factories, people in communities were crying, literally crying for God. There was something that was happening that was beyond just a good sermon. God was supernaturally piercing this country. In that day, in order to be a preacher, you would have to go to a school like Yale, Harvard, Princeton, because those schools originated as schools to train preachers. They're much different now today, if you haven't noticed. Yale was the predominant school in that time. David Brainer was a young man. He was a sickly young man. He, he was tubercular. He had a lot of interior uh, issues uh, within his lungs and, and coughing and, and whatnot. But it didn't stop him, by the way, because he of all people can say, wow, God, thanks a lot. Really appreciate that. Forget the dream. Because if you were in the dream, everything would be going my way. I'd be living the dream. And God says, you are living the dream, and it's a hard dream. So David went to Yale. And this revival was sweeping across the country. And like is true in many educational institutions, they poo-pooed the supernatural move of God. And then they said, and you better not talk against your professors. David Brainer couldn't keep his mouth shut. Respectfully back in those days, but respectfully, he told his colleagues, don't look at this dry picture. That's not what Christ would have you become of these professors. Look at what God is doing. Look how God is transforming. Look at the hearts that are broken. Look at that. And when the professors heard David Brainer say that, they kicked him out. Get out. Boot it to the side by his own, by his own team. He of all people could have said, forget the dream then. He said, no, God has called me to grow into the image of Christ to give out to others. And if the system has booted me out, I won't give up. So you know who he turned to? The Native American Indians. He said, I'll pour into them. I'll give my life for them. In the 1700s, there were still tribes that were fierce. There were still Native Americans who were warriors. And so, Brainerd was in New England, and he was going to go to this tribe and try to, for, as an outsider, get in for the sake of others. What he didn't know as he was moving his way toward this tribe is that they already knew that he was coming. This guy was a rookie cowboy. He was a preacher. We don't know a lot about trailblazing. He was being followed by a, a handful of scouts, Native American scouts, who were sent to kill him. One night they snuck up on his camp, weapons in their hands, ready to kill David Brainer, this sickly, thin 20-something. As, as they came around the corner of the, sh the bushes, 
What they saw stunned them and stopped them in their tracks. They saw a man on his knees crying desperately for them. They saw the face of Christ, the face of selflessness. And they stopped. They laid their weapons down. They embraced him and said, would you come in? He came into their tribe and selflessly became like the image of Christ and experienced the fullness. He of all people could have said, I give up. Over time, in that small little tribe, 47 came to Christ. 47 came to Christ. Now, when I read his story, I'm moved by the fact that he fought anyway. Wounded by his own team, he fought anyway. Disappointed by his health, he fought anyway. In the hardship, he fought anyway. He died when he was 29, in fact, in Jonathan Edwards' home. It's a love story. Jonathan Edwards' daughter fell in love with him. And he, he was contagious, but it didn't matter because the image of Christ in him wore off on her. And she nursed him for 14 months and four months later died of the same thing he had. And if you go to New England, you will see them buried side by side. Two selfless pictures. Look at that. Don't look in your own culture. Look at that. If you want to see what Christ looks like. We have the benefit of David Brainerd's journal. I close with these words. Wednesday, April 21st, and God again enabled me, think about the fight, to wrestle for numbers of souls and had so and much fervency, I love these words, in the sweet duty, the sweet responsibility, the sweet weight of intercession. Lord's Day, April 25th, the morning I spent this morning I spent about two hours, listen, in secret duties and was able, more than ordinary, to agonize for immortal souls. Though it was early in the morning and the sun scarcely shined at all, yet my body was quite wet with sweat. What a fighter for others. What a picture. Saturday, December 15th, spent much time in prayer in the woods and seemed raised above the things of this world. Thursday, November 3rd, spent this day in secret fasting and prayer from morning till night. Now that, my friends, is a picture of who you would want to grow up to be for others. Are you painting your own picture? Are you doing spiritual selfie? Stop. Stop and look into the Word. Are you looking to the measurables of other Christians to say, well, gosh, they're doing it. They're pretty loose. They're... No, stop. Use God, His Word, people like this as your guide. Finally, are you imprisoned because someone wounded you and somewhere along the line you gave up on the dream God would say, oh, come out. I'm not done with you yet. There's more fighting to do. One more phrase from David Brainer, that it would be our prayer. He said these words before he died. Oh, that I might not loiter 
on my heavenly journey. Just hang out. Just be a passerbyer. Just soaking it in and living the dream. God would say, oh, would you live my dream? Would you live my dream? Would you live Christ's dream and become a holy fighter to experience maturity for others so that you can run in high octane? Would you pray with me? Father, oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. We sing words of being desperate for you, God. Oh, that it would be true. Oh, that your word would pierce us as you promised that it could. That, Father, if we are drawing our own picture of what spiritual maturity looks like, may we be willing to lay it down, no matter what the cost, no matter what the effort, oh God, that we'd be holy fighters fighting for the sacred image of Christ. God, maybe we have subtly become less in our passion for our dream because we look at how our culture around us, and be, to be honest, God, our lukewarm Christian culture has become, and subtly allow that to be our measurable. God, I pray that you'll point our minds to your word. I pray that you'll point your church to the David Brainerds of the world to look at that as a picture. God, maybe there are people, I know there are people in this room, you do too, God, that have been wounded wrongfully, painfully, regrettably, undeniably wounded by their own team, maybe their own family, I pray, God, that for the sake of Christ in this world, they'll unlock the door of their jail cell because their enemy knows how much potential there is, God, in their hearts, in their lives, how they could impact others. Oh, God, I pray for your church. I pray, God, for this church that we would learn to be holy fighters for you to agonize in prayer, to agonize in confession and examination. God, are we apathetic? Have we lost our fire? Are we fighting just half-baked? Oh, God, what are we looking for? Are we crystal clear on the picture, on the dream, on the vision? Oh, God, I pray, I pray, I ask you with everything in me that you will stir your church to become more mature, to grow in the image of Christ and pay the price for what that takes. I ask it alone for Christ's sake and His work. Amen. Amen.